Everybody, welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I am your host, Blaine Warren. I'm back. I love you all. I miss you all. It's been so long, and by so long, I mean two weeks. But, you know, it's fine. I knew this time on my own schedule, and nobody can tell me how to change it at this point. Um, but, you know, here with me today, uh, recurring guest, almost, you know, a series regular at this point. Um, from the Center Rivals podcast, a co-host, a uh, good buddy of mine, back on the show, Brett. What's up, man? What up, Blaine? I'm flying solo today. I left my co-host behind on this one. Yeah, that's true. Now, here's the thing. In your podcast, who comes first in the equation? Is it you or Brent? I mean, it's always, I mean, in my mind, it's (laughs) me. But I think that it would be a bit of an argument between the two of us. And, you know, that's we kind do. Of- we do say, well, we have like a, a like a poorly like kind of just half ass name segment. Like when we talk about what we see at the theaters, it's like Brent and Brett go to the movies. Uh, see, even I tend to say his name first. Oh, no, just because I guess it's alphabetical. <laughs> technically, what you need to do is you need to go on like the Spotify page and like wherever your description is, just make sure you have your name everything. First. Yeah. Yeah, just completely edit everything in the descriptions. Exactly, exactly. He won't notice unless he's listening, in which case, uh uh-oh. All right, so today, you know, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. A lot of feelings will be shared, friendships will be broken, but ultimately mended, maybe, by the end. Who knows? Um, Uh, (laughs) I know what we're ending on, so this could could be like a me storming off the podcast type situation. That's true, that's true. This, This really... Can only, it's going to start badly and it's going to end badly, really. There might be some agreements in the middle, which. Is- oh, no, I forgot about the first the, the first thing we're talking about. Yeah. All right. So because I've been gone, uh, you know, I have a social life. Um, I have not been on the pod. Uh, <laughs> oh, so people that meet a weekly release schedule don't have a social <laughs> life lane. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, I, I trust me. I would like to do this every week. I think from here on out, I'll have a pretty consistent schedule, but you know, I've been on vacation. I've been doing I mean, dude, we don't release nearly on the same day every week. We hardly record on it. We just try to get something out. Once I mean, a at least for, you get it out yeah, for exactly. each content. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, point being, uh, there's been some stuff. There's been a lot of stuff this summer that's been released. Um, and, you know, uh, the first half of this uh, episode is just going to be, um, you know, like shooting the shit, talking about uh, a couple TV shows and movies that have come out that just haven't uh, had the conversation about. So first up, arguably one of the biggest streaming releases of the summer was the Disney Plus Obi-Wan TV show. Um Last, I talked about it. We had only covered the first two episodes, but for those who are somehow not aware of what this is, uh, Ewan McGregor is finally back as Obi-Wan Kenobi from the Star Wars prequels, and it kind of follows what he's been up to in between episodes three and four, um, where, you know, he's, um, you know, put in charge of looking after Luke, and then, you know, he's called on a great adventure. This will be a spoiler conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. So for those who have not seen it at this point, um, I assume you don't care, and we're going to be spoiling it. Um, so uh, you were you were a fan of this, right? Um, overall? Oh, hugely. Okay. Yeah. So I, I I know that there I know there's issues, uh, strictly because of like how they had to expand it into a six uh, episode format, and right. I don't think they had six episodes worth of story to tell. But I the stuff we got were was fucking poetic. Sure. Part of my think, French. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, I have to say, so I wasn't big on it. I didn't love it. I will say the Anakin Obi-Wan stuff was easily the best part of the show. Everything involving them mm-hmm. completely on board. Um, 
I, you know, it was nice to see Hayden Christensen again, although I don't think we got nearly enough of him as I wanted to. I know apparently he was in the suit, but, you know, like, is Pedro Pascal really in the suit for all of Mandalorian? Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to believe. Uh, right. But it was nice to see him, and the stuff between those two specifically was really well done. It's just everything else, my, my whole scheme of things was like, I, and this didn't need to be six hours. Like, I, I would have much rather had this, like, a two-hour movie that I could watch in theaters and see Darth Vader on the big screen. But instead of watching Darth Vader on a TV set in my house and something about mm-hmm. that feels a little weird. At least in my opinion. Um, I don't know. Like, Ewan McGregor did a fine job with what he was given. But I, I just feel like... And it's starting to become kind of a common theme with some of the Disney Plus TV shows. But I feel like you know, this whole, like, six-episode limited series thing, like, I don't think they've quite figured out exactly how to, like, mine all six hours worth, you know? You think of, like, a miniseries on, like, HBO, like a Watchmen or a Chernobyl or something like that, like, those have their story down, like, tight to that six hours, and with the Disney stuff, it feels like sometimes either things are, like, either rushed or things don't have enough time, you know, that sort of thing, and I guess maybe that's my issue with what we got from it. I feel like there's extenuated circumstances because I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier handled the six episode format a lot better than a lot of these other shows. I think think the fact that like WandaVision was nine episodes and that really worked in my opinion because all of the different episodes felt different because of how they were doing the styles. Yeah. Um, I think it's less that they didn't have the story to tell and more that comparatively like, do I care about young Leia and getting to see Alderaan for the first time being like a real inhabited planet making the moment in episode four that much more tragic when it fi- when they finally destroy Alderaan? Right. Yeah, I do love that. But when you're selling me on the reunite or the like the the reunion of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker after what's now almost 20 years from the movie, but like 10 years from the situation in the star Wars timeline. I don't, I can't care about the little Leia storyline and I right. can't care about what they're attempting to do with the, the Reva inquisitor storyline. Like, yes, the inquisitor inquisitors inquisitors are, I think the inquisitors are fantastic star Wars villains being broken Jedi that are just latching onto any semblance of power by joining the dark side in the empire and trying to fight to raise in the ranks of Vader's like accolade um, or admiration that, uh, but the way that they go about this and obviously they have her turn in the end. And we find out she was a youngling and that she's not, really working in at for the light side undercover or for the dark side. She is just out for a revenge. She is broken. She is the definition of a Sith at this point. So like, yeah, she is a Sith, but she is a weak minded Sith compared to like an Anakin Skywalker, like a Darth Vader or whatever. And that's how you see her inevitable downfall. But you also try to give her a redemption arc at the end. Like right. that stuff was not done very well. Yeah, uh, not just- not not due to the performance, because no. I think they what she was given was just not great. And once we got to episode three and we see Obi-Wan and Vader go face to face, the Inquisitors can go away. Right. They could be hunting down Obi-Wan for the first couple of episodes. You can have your Leia storyline where she gets kidnapped by Flea. 
but then you drop her ass back off on Alderaan. And you the, yeah, use that. At, you use that as the reason as to why Darth Vader now knows that Obi Wan's still alive, and then you have Obi Wan be fully surprised by the reintroduction by Vader, and then you have the big fight at the end. Right. And like, that's maybe four episodes, but really it's a two hour and a two or two and a half hour long movie, yeah. which is what we were originally supposed to get until Disney Plus and Iger and Chapek, and they had to like build this platform that they have and they're like oh uh we can't like this project has been a, a thing for so many years now yeah they've been trying and to it's just the ground for warped so and changed is crazy right yeah i like there, there's just some story decisions that kind of led me scratching my head um in a couple places and especially like in the finale two instances come to mind like reva going after luke skywalker at the end i was just very confused as to like why she would do that and understand like in some by subtext she was trying to get back at anakin um and obi-wan like right fully but also that stuff detract majorly from the fight sequence we're seeing the like cathartic moment between obi-wan and anakin where they're like dueling for real uh obi-wan is not just a scared little dude from Episode three, he's finally embracing the force again, and he's being fully powered up by the force. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, to, to the people that say like Obi Wan couldn't beat Vader, I'm like, he is still Vader's fucking master. In yeah, the he's, he knows more. Everything o- Anakin knows besides his God given like force in, in like intuition is Obi Wan. Right. And right. I mean, I love the moment where he uh, lifts the rocks up off sure. up off himself. I love him berating uh, Vader with rocks until that eventual strike that opens up the Vader mask. So we see at the same time, we see the duality of the character of Darth Vader because we see Anakin, we see Darth Vader. Yeah. And even so much so because of the light, I love the, the the light that reflects from the lightsabers off of his mask is deep in red. But as you're seeing him shift between the James Earl Jones voice and the uh, Hayden Christensen voice, you see little twinges of the blue reflection from Obi-Wan's lightsaber. You see the goodness still in Darth Vader, even this early in his, excuse me, in his downfall. Right. And I think that's amazing. But yeah. then as that's happening, you're flip flopping back at like at fucking um, Joel Edgerton and, and, and Baru just like defending the homestead with their guns. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, but not at nearly as cool as Darth Vader and Obi-Wan fighting it to like as this like epic showdown. Right. And they did that even before in episode three where Obi and, uh, you know, Darth Vader face off first. Like they can come not to Leia running around. It's like, this is not what we came to see here. Like we want to see, you know, like, you know, this is the moment that you've been advertising. Like let us see the full thing. Um, So that was odd. And then the other, I, I guess my other kind of weird story choice that I was kind of just confused by is you know, at the end of episode three, you know, Yoda sends Obi-Wan off and he's like, hey, by the way, like, there's a way for you to contact Qui-Gon and like, you know, know your next part of the training. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, so Qui-Gon's probably going to show up. They got to bring Liam Neeson yeah. in somehow. And they open up the show with him trying to reach out to Qui-Gon. It's not working. So in my head, I'm like, okay, obviously he's going to show up like in the finale. Great. Cool. And he shows up like in the last scene of the show. He's just like, hey, you figured out what you want. Like, Let's go. And I was like, why can't you do that just under the rocks? You know, when he's under the rocks, like so I was I I was thinking the same thing, but I've been sitting on this for a while since we like talked about it on our show. Um, In 
the original trilogy, they set up that like, yeah, the use of the force goes can be a guiding light, but except for moments like where you hear you and McGregor, like speak to an or Luke right before he fires the shot that blows up the death star. Right. You don't see them really helping out in like high key stressful situations. It's more just like genuine, like just conversations. That's true. Because the whole, like the whole sequence with Obi-Wan and I think in uh, empire is right. Uh, they, they're just like literally sitting on a log and having a chit chat. Right. This, harkens back to that where he's not like in the middle of the battle with Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back where Obi-Wan shows up. Yeah. He is there to help guide him to his like next stop in life. And I think that's kind of that's fair. what they were going for. But that's inarguably less exciting. Yeah. He shows up in the last second. I'm like, oh, it's right. Liam Neeson. Oh, it's over. And um, dude, they've been like, yeah, they had been like dropping the Qui-Gon mic the entire yeah. time, like sprinkling <laughs> it in there. And it's like, okay, well, are we going to get something cool? Yeah. It, it would have been cool to, to have the conversation before his interaction with Vader. Too, I think I that think. would have been better. I yeah. think that would have been much better because you're right. This feels like they were like, oh, fuck. Uh, hey, someone call <laughs> Liam Neeson. We forgot something. Quick, we got to get the facial hair back. Go, go, go. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see him. I, I just thought it was more funny than I think it was originally intended because I was like, oh, this is where we're dropping? I, All right. I like the edits where it's like him and then also forced goes Jar Jar, and he's like, <laughs> Obi! <laughs> oh, Lord. That would have made... So I, listen, funny. That would have killed it. Um, I mean, and, well, especially at the end, you know, Obi does like his signature, oh, hello there, and you're like, oh, I see where you're going. Yeah, but I love that. Sure. I mean, you yeah, know, they, I they love had it. To. Like, I, he, I, I, because I mean, him saying because he said it, he's saying it to Luke. Right. And Alec, Alec Guinness says it to Luke in the original film where he drops his hood and they're introduced for what we know as the first time. Right. But this is really the first introduction of Obi-Wan to Luke Skywalker. Right. right. That's why he knows who old Ben Kenobi is. I love it. Exactly. So I love yeah. that moment. Yeah. And I think I mean, I, I, I guess you got to appreciate the fact the way that the writers and directors had to like kind of tiptoe their way to like make sure everything lines up in the canon sure. correctly. Like that's to be commended. Um, but I don't know. It didn't do a ton for me. I wasn't all that impressed with it. Here's my question. Do you want a second season of Obi-Wan or are you okay? Just leaving no, it I, I said this on the show. I'd rather much see a, a spinoff series yeah. of the path, which is like the Jedi underground railroad sort of thing ran by O'Shea Jackson jr. Right. And because one of like this is a very like niche Jedi character, but Quinlan Voss was teased in one of the episodes with like an inscription on the wall that's like leading to the fact that he's been helping like shuttle these Jedi and younglings and these force sensitive beings away right. from the Empire and keeping them safe. And I think he would be an incredibly good character to give his own show. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's only in like a couple of the Clone Wars episodes, but from what we get of that, he's an incredible he's like a Tarzan like character, like a Jedi where he's more less uh, he's less about fighting and more in tune with the force so much so that he's like a tracker and right. uses his senses to find things in people and stuff. So I don't know. I think that'd be very cool. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So that was kind of my brief thoughts on Obi-Wan. Eh, mm -hmm. that's kind of my shrug. But, I'm, you know, I'm happy people are enjoying it. It actually got a lot of people to, you know, rewatch the prequels and find things that they like. Yeah. Them, which is good. Yeah. Um, you know, the prequel fans, they exist. Uh, 
they scare me a little bit, but you know, they exist. Um, no, all right, it couldn't be you. I like the third one. I like the other two. The first two, I I just find boring. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, okay. The other other streaming show that uh you know took the world by storm this summer. Uh, Stranger Things obviously dropped the last two episodes. Um, last week. Uh, combined total of like a million hours. But I, I mean, I gotta say, I was excited going into it, and by the end of it, I had a good time. I thought it was fun. Uh, was it a bit long? Uh, absolutely. Did this season need to be eleven hours long? I don't know. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I had a good time. It, it. was four. Yeah, but uh, it was exciting. You know, I think this is easily. At least, in my opinion, the best season since the first one. Um, Did you already, think, you already are we just you already talked about I talked about the, part the regular one. season, yeah. Part one, okay, mm-hmm. part two. Yeah, I'm just talking about the wrap up. Um, but I thought it was exciting. You know, a lot of characters were in danger. Uh, I was very scared <laughs> that a lot of people were going to die. I thought Steve was going to die. I thought and like so they dude, they promised five deaths, and you really got to scrounge around to find what five people died in part right. Two. Like, are we are we counting the jock? Because like, that, I don't are know. you counting the demogorgon? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, is he a character? Because then, if it is, it's like the jock. It's Papa. It's the demogorgon. It's Eddie and Max. Maybe Max is like a half. Yeah, she exactly. Ain't dead yet? Right. Yeah. So exactly. I, I, I would have, I, I was expecting like a Game of Thrones style, like, you know, a lot of characters aren't going to make it out of this. And that was pretty much the only moment I was disappointed in. It's like, oh, I mean, not a lot of people are gunned down by the end of this. Um, but I mean, you know, there's still one more season left and I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, I, I Going into season four, I was a little bit, season three, I, I thought was kind of like, all right, I didn't love it. I didn't Ooh, hate no, it. I love season three. It was and right I in the middle for me. I love season three specifically for the reason why I was a little bit disappointed with part two. Okay. And that's because at the end of season three, we get to see them take on this big otherworldly villain of the Mind Flayer right. as a team. Yeah. The whole group, Hopper, uh, uh, Winona Ryder and Murray. And I don't know why I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Joyce, Uh, I think. Joyce. Thank you. Hopper, Joyce and Murray and older kids and younger kids. And they're all working together to like succeed in the mission. The way that they conclude this with the, oh, we're not going to make it to Hawkins in time. We need to go put Ellen a pizza freezer (laughs) and. Uh, the the people in Russia, they're fucking stuck in Russia, but because they're beating up the demigorgon, it's hurting the un, the upside down as a whole. Right. Like right. I like how they were able to figure out how to get them all to impact the main story from sure. their like different locations. But I want to see them together, man. Of course, they waited for the two days, like the two days later jump to bring them all together, and then we got the reunions. But the threats gone, except it's very much not. And I think. Dude, that last scene makes me believe that Will is finally going to get his day of reckoning and Noah Schnepp will for sure be the lead, like the driving force of season five. I hope so. Yeah, I will. has always been like well do. Yeah, Will's always the character where I'm like, like, come on, we got to like utilize him a bit more. I always feel bad for the guy. I mean, he's killing it. Like his little monologue in the car that everyone's memed on Twitter, which the memes are great. Like never stop making the the back of the head thing. (laughs) Give this man a new haircut. It's the 80s. Like, it, you can go to the It is not shop. doing him any favors. It is not great to look at. Um, it's hilarious because it's all, it's like he's grown. Right. As a human. Right. But his bowl has stayed the same <laughs> size. 
the like I, I mean it doesn't fit his head anymore. It used to like come down here. Right. And now it's like up here, like a mushroom cap. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this man is toad. Um I know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I, I and I guess my biggest hope that and, and you know, the, the Duffer brothers have been, you know, in interviews and stuff. I've been reading some of the stuff that we're saying. They're saying season five will, like, specifically be in Hawkins. Like, everyone's going to be in Hawkins, yes. which is great. Yes, Because, I, I mean, mean if, if you had to point out a weakness of this season, I think the fact that everyone's separated yeah. is a bit of a detriment because some storylines I found a lot more interesting than others. Um, I mean, we never, until the last episode, we didn't get to see Hopper and Elle together. Right. And, and any of their interaction, even though we've been waiting for their reunion again. She thinks he's fucking dead. Right. Like we didn't get to see my we didn't get to see like any of Mike and Dustin and Lucas really right. or Will and Mike and Dustin and Lucas like those splitting those two in half was ridiculous. And even Lucas was like off doing his weird thing with the jocks. Right. Like I like that they brought him back into the fold. Oh, yeah. But I got I got so sick of those basketball guys after a while. Yeah. I was like, what's going on with these? Like, can we just kill them off? And I mean, they, they slowly got more and more deranged where they were like literally trying to shoot and murder these kids but i mean i get it your friend and your girlfriend just died because of literally unexplainable demon shit that you right. are assuming like how else are you going to react right right um but i mean i give props you know they, i mean obviously netflix is just throwing money at the screen when it comes to this show and the visual effects all look great that looks awesome um yeah and i'm excited to see him come back my, i guess my prediction would be because well, Max, Vecna is a lot of practical effects too. I know. I'm just saying he looks shout great. out, but yeah, yeah, it all yeah. looks it all looks super good. Yeah, the makeup on him is incredible. I, I, as far as my prediction goes, I feel like because Max, you know, got like halfway killed, but then eventually, you know, brought back to life. Um, by eleven, I feel like if I had to make a guess, and this could be dead wrong, I'm just shooting in the sky here. I maybe Vecna could possess Max. And like, I think, well, I think Max is going to get some kind of powers. Oh, that that's also true. Are, yeah. That are we going to, that we're going to slowly find out are what is like, it like is what you're talking about, but they're like derived from Vecna and he still has control. Right. Right. But and then, I mean, so they're going to have to like fight her in the end. Yeah. I um, don't, dude, here's something I don't want. We better not get to season five and like episode one, her eyes open and she's like, Max, you're back. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> let's get some repercussions for this shit. Right. They like snapped her fucking back. Yeah, and I like, was terrified. Both of her arms and legs. I was and shocked. She looks like she's blind now. Right. I, I was like really concerned. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Did they just kill off Sadie Singh after having like an incredible first half? I'm like, is she done? Um, and, you know, apparently she's still alive. Question mark, I guess. Um technically, but I don't know. I thought, I thought it was a strong, a pretty strong conclusion. You know, there's some issues I have here and there, but I enjoyed it. All the cast is really great at this point. Like everyone is on fire in this show. Um, and hopefully from season five, I get uh, more of, uh, is it Mike? Yeah. I want Mike to have yeah. like something to do. Uh, so have you, I mean, I, I'm, I've been on all the TikToks and obviously like my For You page has been filled with the Stranger Things stuff for the last oh, sure. week or so. I've seen a lot of people talking about how like the most, like the most powerful villain in the Dungeon and Dragons lexicon or whatever is this red dragon. Right. Beast, whatever. And in the picture that Will draws of the boys, Mike's leading the charge against a multi-headed red dragon. Oh. Okay. So maybe we find out that there's like some kind of like Lord of the Upside Down that was there before Vecna. Right. 
And like that, that's going to be the thing that they need to fight. And hopefully we literally see like them go on a like mythical crusade to, to slay the dragon. Right. That'd be cool. Cause I'd this show's it. always been like steeped in its nostalgia of the eighties and everything. But like also every single villain is, is from the D and D like they're not the actual representation of what the D and D character would be, right. but they're using their knowledge of their characters from D and D to attribute the same powers and stuff to these weird things from the upside down. And so like going through with that, I think that's where we're headed with like the most powerful being in the Dungeons and Dragons books and whatnot. Right. Um, I th- so I think that would be very cool. Cause also dude, I love the nostalgia. I love the Dungeons and Dragons. Oh sure. Absolutely. I love how in this season we got uh like a pseudo breakfast club member for every single one. Right. Like Eddie is uh Judd Nelson and the jock guy or Jason or whatever, he is Emilio Estevez. Right. And the girl that Robin is crushing on, Molly, is Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Uh, These are good points. I like this. Uh, oh, the nerd, the nerd guy, the second guy that's killed by Vecna that was helping out Nancy. Yeah. He's, yeah. Okay. He's Michael Anthony Hall. And then Ali Sheedy is Susie's sister. Yeah. Okay. The girl that Argyle's little, they're all. There's no way it's a coincidence. They're all literally one for one, like representations of each character of the Breakfast Club. I like this theory. Yeah, that's pretty good. You'd have to imagine. I can't good. take credit for it because I, again, I've seen this all over my few. For you could have said, you could have said, de- you did, take dude. Credit. It's it's definitely it's definitely something I noticed, especially with the Robin, the girl that Robin's crushing on. Right. Especially, I'm like, oh, why is she dressed like the girl from the Breakfast Club right. when we saw Susie's sister in that short scene? Right. I like oh, yeah. seeing Susie again. I like seeing me. Um, hopefully she it was great. I really wanted her back for part two. I'm surprised we didn't see her at all. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I, thought we would get, I thought we would get a moment where they were like, Dustin, Susie helped us. And he's like, oh, that's my girl or whatever. Right, right. They got it. They got to speed past it. Um, I guess I guess my last Stranger Things point is, um, you know, obviously the show is rooted in, you know, 80s nostalgia, like Stephen King, Dungeons and Dragons, all that stuff. But like you look at it now, like it's just a force of its own at this point. Like, you know, a lot of I, I'm I'm guessing that most people who watch this haven't seen like Nightmare Before Christmas or Stand By Me or like anything that it's based on. But they know like, you know, Dustin, Eleven, you know, Max. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I do have to derail you because you said Nightmare Before Christmas. Sorry, Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street. Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, (laughs) You threw me off for a second. I was like, (laughs) how is this like? Christmas? Yeah, no, sorry. Not Robert England, who was in part one. That's right. I know he was great. Um. He killed it. But, you know, like, obviously, it's just so great in the culture that, you know, like, yes, these are household names. Right. It's, it's really gotten to it's a force. I mean, it's only a matter of time before Joe Keery and uh, the guy who plays Eddie and Nancy Dyer all have MC roles. Right. Right. Please. Get I mean, they already Joe gave Keery. Jonathan the new mutants role, but that right. didn't yeah, pan yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Joe Keery could be flaming uh, the human torch. No, hey, you and I are on the same wavelength there, buddy. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, also, Joe Keery, a Nepal boy. Dude, he could have been Spider-Man. Got to represent. Um, oh, sure. Absolutely. Could have been like, an, like if, if like they were still making Spider-Man where the guy is like definitely not in high school anymore. Right. Like a right. McGuire style Spider-Man. Joe Keery could have killed it. That'd be great. Hey, I'd watch it. He was the best part of Free Guy. Actually, that's not true. Jody Comer was the best. Taika. Mm. No, nah, eh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, 
Okay, so next up, the Amazon show, We Had the Boys, uh, season three. The show is incredible. Like, it, 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 I, I, I'm so, I think this is the best season that it's had so far. And I, I don't know, I, dude. It's hard to beat the like sheer surprise that season one was. That's fair. Yeah. And like how blown away by it I was at first glance. But yeah, the, the, the shit they're doing with the characters is unbeatable. Like they're they're not only top, like, the top tier show when it comes to like violence and gore and superheroes and right. also political commentary, but it's one of the best developed shows when it comes to like three seasons of seeing these characters and getting their story arcs and seeing them progress. And right. that's something to behold. And I, and I think it's a testament to Eric Kripke, the guy who did a thousand seasons of supernatural and is now <laughs> taking control of this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I have complete faith in the writers of the show at this point. Like they can do whatever the hero gasm episode was like one of the best episodes of television this year. I mean, was I, I was, I wanted more. I, wanted I agree. To, like, I agree. I wanted, I, to be, I, yeah. I wanted to have to go scrub my eyes out with soap they after were, watching it. And it was a little bit tame. Yeah. But it was to, tamer to than say expected. the least, it's like still one of the most graphic things to ever be put on television. But it was such a great hour in television, yeah. like so much shit. And that fight it. at the end is oh easily worthwhile, dude. Like, oh my god, the so way good. they do, the way they set up these superhero fights, how they all like Homelander could be flying across the entire world while fighting through the air like a Superman or whatever. But it right. seems like they always have their fights in these little contained sets and rooms. Yeah. And that only makes him more imposing because of what you know he can do. Right, exactly. And I mean, and dude, shout out to Anthony Starr. Like, dude, I was about to literally say the same thing. Anthony Starr, so Jansen Ackle. Um, Carl Urban. Uh, Dennis Quaid's kid, Jack. <laughs> all of them, dude, all those guys fucking killed it. Uh, Emily Mortimer also fucking a standout this season. I, I love what they're doing with Starlight. Right. And how they're just she in all this bullshit and just like evil, disgusting, uh, uh, egotistical, narcissistic world. She is like the shining light through all of it, trying to just like do good. Yeah. And now they made it they made it perfectly clear that she's one of the boys, even though she's a girl. She's the boy. She's the boy. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, I mean, just an incredible season. And I. I, you know, spoilers, I guess, but like the way they ended it with Homelander, you know, killing the dude and being like applauded by, you know, his followers, like that's, that was really clever because you were super that. on the nose. It's, right. it's, I mean, the, it's the Trump, yeah. it's the mentality of, oh, the Trump or the Republicans can do anything and they'll still worship them right. and cheer for them. And exactly. like, yeah, that's, that's what they're going for. It's, it's very laid out perfectly. And so, I mean, I'm very excited to see how that goes with with Homelander ditching his uh, need for the 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 admiration of all and instead focusing in on this radical group of followers and like just doing what they want him to do. Yeah. And also with his son, who is just as powerful and is and definitely slipping into the dark side. Yeah. That last shot was just bone chilling. But like that's the thing, like this show is smarter than I am at this yeah. moment. Like, as far as what they're doing. Oh, so much smarter because I didn't even see the whole soldier boy being the father thing exactly. coming at all. Yeah, like, they, they really, I, like, I, I I, just, I have complete trust in them at this point. Like, I yeah. I am down to watch whatever they do yeah. at this Give point. Give us season four, absolutely. I would yeah. say my, one of my favorite parts of the season, though, was this Kimiko subplot and her yeah. having to figure out 
like her thinking she's the monster because of her powers, but it was really she's a monster because she's a monster and the powers would only help that. Right. And so she goes and gets the, the V again. And then one of my least favorites, but I think it may be in the end, it got handled. Okay. Uh, subplot was a trains. Sure. Like how he, he was just like off doing his shit and constantly getting fucked over. And like the, the whole racist thing with blue Hawk. I like the irony of him having a racist person's heart. And that's why he can now run again. Yeah. Huh, boy. And the fact that his brother's like, fuck you, you only ever did shit for yourself. And like, fully accurate but i think that was like way too much so sure that's fair. but give me season four i want to i want to see where his character goes for that i want to see where what homelander does i want to see how they deal with billy and the fact that he has got a ticking time clock till his death give me more i need season five uh for tomorrow please absolutely yeah give it to me now give it to me now all right so i guess here's my question about my, my question to you about the boy is like how many more seasons do you expect out of this show and i know like I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily have a limit. My guess before this episode would have been two, but you know, I, so I, I mean, expectate how many I expect is, is like a weird, they could do whatever they've, they've right. gone so far off the source material, but there's also so much source material that they really have a fuck ton that they can work with. Right. And so they could go like three, four, five, se- five more seasons. But I mean, then you run the risk of like losing steam and falling off and not being as like highly totted as this already is. So, right. I just yeah. think that the, the, I think when they decide to end it, they'll end it on a high note. I'm, oh, I, 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 I mean, that's just my expectation after seeing these seasons. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, obviously, you know, like you were saying at the end of the show, butchers put on like a ticking clock and it's like, Hey, you know, you're going to die pretty soon. I mean, they can easily find some kind of antidote or way to like give him super brain or something like, yeah. It's just, but, I don't know if I want to see the show without Carl Irvin. He's so delightful. That's also true. You know he I mean? is the boy. He's the titular boy. He's the boy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, Carl Irvin's just a national treasure at this point. I love the guy. Um, but, you know, we had a great season full of hero gadgets, uh, you know, a terrific Ant-Man homage that I was genuinely uh, mortified by. And, uh, you know, Soldier Boy himself. What's not to like? Um that was almost more graphic than Herogasm. That's what I was saying. Yeah, the opening minutes to the first episode, I was like, my mouth was like a gape. And How then, are they going to beat that? And right, then I don't and think they, they really did. Not really. I mean, Herogasm was nasty. And, but they opened the episode with like a warning. And they're like, by the way, like, there's a lot of stuff that's dangerous. And I'm like, I we mean, didn't get I a know. warning for the first one. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on. Um, but I don't know. Whatever. They can do what they want. I'm not. <laughs> they know better than I do. That was it for TV shows. And then we get to like a couple of the, you know, summer blockbusters that I haven't yet uh, discussed. And uh, you've seen them both, so you'll be able to help uh, with me here. So one of them is, uh, you know, Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann, Austin Butler, Tom Hanks starring Elvis biopic. You know, we had you on here uh, a little more than a year ago to talk about music biopics. Um, how did this one do for you? Where is this? Oh, Blues Brothers? No, we, well, we talked about uh, Respect for a second. We oh, about... right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I like this one, too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's we've, we've dubbed this my guilty pleasure genre is like... Sure. Auto or like musical bio, like musical biopics about musicians, right? Because they're all the same, right? But I think they're all good. And like you either like you either like that they're all the same and that they're telling all these people's stories and the way they tell those stories 
or you don't like it's all the same thing and they're telling all these stories in the same way because all of these musicians have the same story where they come up, they're super successful, they make a lot of money, they buy big houses, they start doing drugs, they lose their loved ones, uh, they, they, they get fat and then they, uh, they fucking die. Like that's <laughs> a lot of people, right. that's just a lot of musicians' histories. Like that's, that checks off a lot of boxes for a lot of people. But right. that being said, the way Baz Luhrmann has his like over the top bombastic visual style, uh, I think very much adheres to the tone of Elvis Presley as a person. I and agree. so this film worked really well for me as chaotic as it was. And as long as it was uh, what didn't work for me was the fact that Tom Hanks was in a different movie. He was in a totally yeah. different movie. And I don't know who to point the finger to toward that, because I think Hanks was just doing what he was asked to do. Like, I, and the problem is Hanks, but Hanks is such a good performer, and that's why I Because I can, I can totally see that, because Baz Luhrmann has this, like, uh, in, like, Moulin Rouge, he has that right. smarmy. He's playing him like a super smarmy, like, nosy Weasley villain. Right. And, like, maybe that's just the trope that he wanted them to play Tom Colonel Tom Parker as. Right. And it's, just, like, it, it's just it's conflicting with the tone of the film and it takes away from the Elvis of it all. Yeah, I feel like it was a tad bit mismarketed only so as to say the movie is not under the lens of the normal music biopics. It's more under the lens of, hey, here's how this guy got screwed over by. And I look and I like that a lot. Yeah, I like yeah. that a lot. I had no idea who Colonel Tom Parker was. I thought Elvis was just this super successful guy that ended up ending his career in right. Vegas because he had this residency and he just stuck with it. Little did I know he was like tricked into it and then like right. like slowly and subtly forced to like stay and never get to leave and never get to go on international tours like he wanted to. Yeah, I thought so. I thought that lens was actually pretty fascinating. That right. actually helped a lot with my experience. The problem is Hanks is a bit overacting and I'm like, uh, I, like I, it didn't entirely work for me. Austin Butler, however, absolutely incredible. There was never a moment where I doubted that he was Elvis. And especially at the end where he's got like the totally. makeup on and oh. they do that cut where it's like, you know, Dude, halfway through they cut I, it. That cut like real got guy. me. Because yeah, like multiple times in the film, like as they were like, jamming into one of the musical sequences as I, I there were there were multiple times where I was like whoa like Austin's disappearing here like I'm yeah. really I'm feeling like I'm seeing in here in Elvis and like the way they combine his singing with the the singing from Elvis a lot like what they did with uh Rami Malek and Bohemian Rhapsody right was flawless it was amazing like yeah. if you look at the soundtrack you'd be surprised how many times it's Austin singing and how many times it's Elvis right um but then, like you said, in that end sequence, as more and more prosthetics are caked onto his face, like you'd think he looked more cheesy. It's like, no, he's just going like deeper, deeper into that, like uncanny valley of not being able to discern between the actor and the, the performance. And it's right. crazy. Yeah, I thought he killed it. Um, I, my only issue is it's like two hours and 40 minutes. And by the end of it, I'm like, oh, my God. And the damn movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just making two hours. And I think like, it's that, but it's that long because they also showcase those smaller, quieter moments of Elvis's life that are sure. like the more biopic stereotypical moments that aren't right. the like high energy visual uh, cacophony performances that they have a plethora of. There's moments like when 
they go and talk about his deep passion for gospel music and why that is uh, inspiration for him. And I like how much they honor his gospel roots and like the people that actually gave the perform these songs first in the moment with little Richard, where they were like, yeah, you could perform that song, but then you would cost that man his career. Right. And, 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 and acknowledging that is, is huge for me. Cause like, that's, that's them not shying away than like making Elvis be this like omnipotent God of a musician. Like he is, right. he was doing covers of songs originally. Yeah. Um, and then there's also moments like where like Martin Luther King died, where they step away and, and yes, they rewrote history a little bit, but that's what every <laughs> biopic's going to do for, yeah, for dramatic remember. effect. Right. So, yeah. Those are all things I absolutely love, but there is very much some detractors from the film, Tom Hanks and the, and the runtime and pacing of it all. It's yeah. not all not super fantastic, but there is there is still a lot to love. I was surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did. Like I'm I, surprised that you enjoyed it as much as you did. I know, right? Yeah, I'm like the one out of the, the boys who was like, eh, it wasn't terrible. Um I, I I my biggest thing was just the length. I feel like if it was shorter, I would have been a lot more positive on it. Um and I mean there's a lot of moments of energy throughout. Like most of the musical numbers are like fantastic. The like six minutes of uh, suspicious minds that he does like mm-hmm. completely on board. It just gets faster and faster. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Um, oh, when he's, when he's doing one of the performances in Vegas and he's doing like the American serenade or whatever, where he's like, right. glory, hallelujah. Or at the, the song he's singing at the end, like, like you said, when that's cutting and like, he's like just belting it out and it's, it's, it's pure Elvis, man. And they're right. really, they're really honoring the king of rock and roll and the man like the who, to this day is one of the most single selling artists of all time. So, right. For that, yeah. this movie really did succeed in my mind. I mean, Absolutely. no, it's not my favorite biopic of all time, but I love Elvis. I love Elvis's music. Uh, I was disappointed that Devil in Disguise was not one of the songs on the soundtrack. <laughs> what can you I, do? You can't hit everything. I also thought I was going to hate the modernized versions of the song, like, you know, the Doja Cat Hound oh, Dog right, song. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yes, they're jarring, and they do take me out of the film a little bit, but they're not nearly as bad as, like, when they were putting the modernized music in The Great Gatsby. That's, that's yeah, just Great another Baz Luhrmann. It's just another exactly. Baz Luhrmann thing. Yeah, that's fair. Um... But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I was okay on it. It's funny, not every music, but like everyone's got their favorite songs and stuff like that. And I like you would really think with Elvis, and maybe this is just my opinion, but you really think they like make more of like the um like the can't help falling in love with you. Like if you had to ask me, like that might be his most iconic song, and they use it, but it's like very like it's barely in there. Um, well, so and- the devil in disguise part, I, I in my mind after seeing the movie, I'm like. They could have had a true musical moment where it's not diegetic music. He's not doing right. like or he's kind of doing a performance. He's on the stage. He's singing. And it's the moment where he fires Colonel Tom Parker in front oh, of the yeah. audience. Yeah. Sing devil great. in disguise at him. Yeah. That Just worked. sing that at him. Yeah. As he's like trampling through the audience and he's like trying to stop it all. Yeah. And then we get my song that I want. And I'm like, exactly. oh, fuck. Someone call me and like be like, hey, you got some good ideas. <laughs> exactly. See, that's what we need. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. It, it was not it perfect. Was... I think I ended at a three and a half star, which is like a B in my mind. Yeah. But like there are there are enough clear issues with it that I couldn't like look past. Yeah. I guess I'd just be wondering, like, uh, how would audiences respond to this? And I mean, like, I don't know, at least at my theater, you know, we get a lot of like the older crowd. And I'm wondering, like, would they be like overwhelmed by the Baz Lerminess of it all? Or would they still enjoy it because of the elviness of it all? Like, I don't know. But 
Um, I don't know. I'd say give it a shot. You know, either you hate it or you love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. And then the other last uh, thing I wanted to hit in this catch up is uh, the long awaited Minions, The Rise of Gru. Um, heavily anticipated, much awaited uh, sequel, prequel to Despicable Me. Um, it, it, this has been the movie that's taken over social media by storm. The gentle minions, you know, they're, I, so, they're not, yeah. it's probably ended at this point, but um, it, I mean, you'll still get a couple of stragglers, stragglers, and you're still seeing teens that are like at the back end of the trend that are like, right. hey, let's go see the minions so we can be in the know with the jokes and at school and in our group chats and whatnot with all the people right. that went and saw it opening right. weekend. Uh, I liked the gentle minions thing, man. Until that was it funny. Got, until it got unruly and started like being an issue for the th- people who work in the theater industry. Right. So I, I don't love seeing the videos of like people yelling at theaters and being like, if you clap, you're going to get kicked out. If you cheer, you're going to get kicked out and we're going to call the police. Like, don't do that. But there's like a level of, yeah, it was very funny seeing these giant groups of kids in their suits rolling up to theaters, 120 kids deep to right. buy tickets for minions and then go sit in their theaters. But why did it have to turn into yelling and screaming at the movie, dancing and having like a rave party with your flashlights on s- filming the movie, which is totally illegal, right? Sneaking in bananas to throw around the theater and make a mess <laughs> of and hit screens with, which costs thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Like literally more than a new car. And I even saw a video of like a little RC helicopter. Someone brought in. Like, oh my, you, yeah, no, there, it's not okay. There is a level to the joke, like, because you're coming to the theater and, like, yeah, you're having fun with your friends, but there were people that paid money to sit there quietly and watch the movie, right? And you have to respect that, yeah. And the joke is funny because you're just wearing a suit to the movie, right? It's not anything more the, than the that. joke. The funny part of the joke isn't that you're being an asshole, right? Exactly, yeah. I 100%. mean, maybe it is because they're being villains, but uh. Yeah, no. Now, there's a level there, and there's a line that you shouldn't cross. But, Absolutely. Um, but as for know, the movie, it was pretty mid. One man. Um, you know, I, I, I this movie with me franchise is kind of one of highs and lows. I think the first one that everyone can universally agree is the best one, and then yes. afterwards they've kind of just gone down and down. Um, I really did, this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I I just didn't enjoy the first Minions, and I feel like I like this one more. Um, yeah, agree. I know why you, why. you don't okay. know. I know why. All right. Explain. explain. It's Gru. Yeah, probably. It's 100 percent that Gru's back in the fold. It's Steve Carell and his passion and his love for playing this character and him yeah. bringing this new childlike wonderment to the character. And Minions doesn't work for me. And I rewatched all the films just to lead up for this. boy. Minions doesn't work because you're relying on the gibberish and the comedy from the Minions. And like half of their jokes are farts and butts. Right. And like you get the farts and butts in this movie, but you also get like the more smarter g- g- comedy. I know it's I don't it's like weird to say that, but like, yeah, the jokes aren't as intelligent, but like having grew as a character, having someone that can speak English, I guess, is yeah, just, goes so far for me in these films. I think the minions and also movie. their connection is beautiful, right? Like they're 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 the relationship between the minions and grew. I agree. Yeah, that stuff was cute. I think the minions work best is like segmented. And I think that's the problem that the first one had. Also, where yeah. there wasn't anything to break up the stuff with the minions, and it was just like after a while, you're like, oh my god, like. Just, and in and in this, there very much was. We followed just Gru and these like weird, ridiculous six villains. Exactly. 
That's I love the name. nun, was the by the vicious way. Six, but yeah. The I, I, nun Chuck was... Lady? That was incredible. Um, but the nun I... Chuck Lady was funny. I liked the claw guy. It was yeah, like the Jean-Claude. Claw. And it was Jean-Claude Van Damme who voiced yeah. him. Like the voice. Shut up. No, I'm dead serious. Bro. God yeah. fucking damn it. <laughs> Elimination I, didn't, I didn't look. I never looked, but I'm like, ah, Jean-Claude, that's pretty good. Yeah, no, they got Van Damme to voice it. Wow, that's very I know. funny. Who was exactly. Nunchuck or Nunchuck? Uh, I'll look this Because I know Taraji P was the main chick. Yeah, and Alan the... Arkin was Wild Knuckles or whatever. The Rising Crew. Um, cast. Yeah, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was Jean-Claude. Lucy Lawless was Nunchuck. Wow. Dolph Lundgren was Vengeance, the roller skater guy. And then Danny Trejo was the metal hand oh. guy. So what a crew. I know, right? That's what I'm talking about. I had about. no idea. Yeah. So I don't know. It's nice to see that in there. Um, and, I, and the thing that held this, I think, as well, is this movie had a lot of energy to it. You know, like it, it was it was very propulsive. Like things started oh, yeah, happening. Sure. And as soon as you get to the end of one scene, like it would jump immediately to the next. Like it felt like it was wasting no time, which was helpful for me. Um, and I feel like uh, not needs the energy of the minions because the first one i don't know like after a while it just kind of drags on and you're like oh my god like just and um but for this one you know there's stuff that happened that i was amused by there's a setup you know where the minions are flying an airplane and i was like this is fun and the other thing i think that helped was like this one felt very inspired by a lot of like kung fu you know 70s 80s like martial arts movies and that i I mean yeah i see they they definitely attempted that with the whole michelle yo thing yeah, that and like it opened with the same opening credit song as like Kill Bill Volume One. So like that was kind of fun. Um, you know, like stuff like that. I was like, I appreciate this. Uh, you know, I didn't have a miserable The time. Minions directed by Tarantino. I'd watch it. Don't tell me you wouldn't watch <laughs> that. It'd be incredible and so much more violent. Are you kidding me? That'd be amazing. But I don't know. Like, as far as uh, kids movies go, I like it more than Lightyear. So, you know, I guess that's nah. my hot take. All right. Well, too bad. <laughs> I, well, I mean, yeah, I'm just like, I do not agree. All right. Well, I enjoyed it. Uh, nothing more, obviously. because it's, it's good enough. I, yeah. It's, and, it's not like it's making me angry that people are coming here, but right. it's definitely dying off. The meme is the meme is it was lived its two week lifespan and now is dying sl- a slow and painful death. Right. Um, but you know, that brings us to the main event, uh, what you've all been waiting for. Um, you know, our uh what what number is this? Like the twenty-eighth Marvel movie at this point? Um, Thor Love and Thunder. This is Taika Waititi. 29. Sorry. I think it's 29th. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, Taika Waititi's return to the Thor franchise after directing Thor Ragnarok. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is obviously back as Thor, bringing with him uh, Tessa Thompson, Taika Waititi, um, and bringing back Natalie Portman, uh, who was not in Ragnarok. And then Christian Bale obviously plays the villain. Now, um, you know, we're just going to jump right into this. Uh, Brett, you're a fan of Ragnarok, and you're a fan of Taika Waititi. How did you like Thor: Love and Thunder? One second, I'm pulling. I'm pulling up your out of pocket review, so I have my. I can make my counterpoints here in a second. That's fair. Uh, no, wait. So what was your question? Sorry, I'm just saying. As a fan of Taika Waititi, as a fan of Thor: Ragnarok, how did you like Love and Thunder? I love Love and Thunder. Uh, there are. There's definitely a level of 
anticipation that wasn't met because like literally this has been my number one movie anticipated movie of the year since they announced that this movie was coming out sure when yeah. they when they announced the the slate the like slate of phase four since they said taika watiti was doing it like he's one of my three favorite directors in all of hollywood and i can't I can, I'll watch anything he makes. I rewatched everything he's made and it still all just like resonates so hard with me. So like going into this, I was very, very, very excited. And I rewatched all the Thor movies. And I think Thor is one of those characters that have gotten a genuine character arc through their very, I watched everything that I watched all the Avenger movies. Also, <laughs> I watched everything Thor was in. So I saw him go from, an overconfident Shakespearean like God that is just like at the hands of his father to the wacky zany space Viking we see now in love and thunder that has been through the ringer mentally and emotionally. So he's a little fucking broken in the head right now. And he is not super mentally stable. And I love how they're playing that into like his jokey nature now because he has this weird awkwardness to him that he definitely didn't have in any of the first movies. And they, I, it's very much Taika Waititi. And I, I, I just love that about his style and his comedy. And these movies are funny. And I love, you know me, man, I put comedy so high on the totem pole when it of comes course. to like genres. I think making someone laugh and, ma- and, and that much more making an audience of people laugh because everyone has a different sense of humor and jokes resonate with people different ways. But having a uh, being able to successfully make a, a large group of people laugh is a amazing talent. Yeah. And, and Taika Waititi is more than able to do so. Right. And I think the interesting thing is like out of, you know, the core Avengers that started this thing, like Thor's kind of the last of the main six that we have right now. Like, obviously, you know, Hawkeye is still around, but who knows if he, you know, we're going to see him again anytime soon. Um, But like, you know, as far as like the heavyweights go, like Thor's is kind of the last one. So coming after Endgame, you know, um, and especially seeing like what Infinity War and Endgame did with Thor, I was interested to see where they would take them in Love and Thunder. And I'm going to get this out of the way right now. I'm going to burn down bridges today. Um, I did not enjoy this movie. I thought it was really, really, really subpar. I thought like the energy that Ragnarok had, I feel like this was trying to replicate it. And I understand why they would do something like that, obviously. And I, 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 I get what Taika was going for, but I feel like there are a lot of examples where it just fell flat. Um, and I don't know. Like, and the other thing too, it just didn't look that great either. I feel like mm. I, I, I will let you get to your points. I'll let you get to your points. But at least for me personally, like you said, this movie, like they, they like this movie has over two hundred million dollar budget, and it just looks like shit a lot of time. I, there's I some can't scenes agree that look with good. that. There are some scenes that look good. Well, like, right? what do you think doesn't look good? Any of the locations they're in doesn't feel real. Like, it feels like they're just they're in, the bro. They're in like omnipotent <laughs> Marvel space. They're but not going to look like feel real. They're not going to look like Mars. They're not going to look like anything we know. But I'm saying Guardians of the Galaxy, something like that. That's probably what my poll is for here. But like Guardians of the Galaxy, you're able to have locations that you feel, that feel lived in, where you're like, okay, this is a space that the actors are in, as opposed Dude, to think about we're this. Film the spaces against- you're going to are in on like a god city, 
yeah. a floating god city. So like, yeah, that's going to be a little bit weird and shiny and glossy and golden and whatever. Right. And like the other major destinations are a small moon where they're just like like trying to trick and trap Thor and uh and then Eternity, which and like I thought the like whole did you watch it in 3D at all? No. The scene when they're in the reflection zone in the uh, with Eternity, looked, yeah, like it's mind exploding in 3D. The things they were able I heard to it. do I with heard depth it. of field and like how you were seeing the reflection of them in the water in 3D also with their it was okay. dude, it was like blowing my mind type stuff. So well, like when good. you say the visuals were bad, I was like. Bitch, where? I thought the black and white planet was cool. I, I thought I that love nice. that scene. I thought that was maybe something, one of the most audacious things we've seen in the MCU since. Like, yeah, the fact that like his hammer, the lightning bolt, and something the lighting from there and, and his the eyes. Exactly. Yeah, like and the fact that those were the color. color what? Scene. Like they said it in the movie. The color. It's not that it was just a black and white movie. It's that like color was like a void of being there it was afraid and like so right. it wasn't that they were totally black and white you could see the littlest twinge of color in right. the in the in the, like the deepest of their like red capes and stuff so right exactly so real quick this again is a spoiler discussion of thor 11 thunder yeah, do not sorry proceed any further no you're fine um and for those who haven't watched it go watch it and then come back and listen to this or you know I, if you don't so care i find it hard pressed that like i feel like most still, people have seen it now mcu yeah. is still one of the biggest juggernauts in the film industry and like right. even though even the like most casual of movie fans someone that like doesn't watch all the mcu movies they're still gonna go out and see this big exactly. release yeah it's a huge plot here um right. So let me get to my biggest positive out of the way first. I think Christian Bale was overqualified and he delivered like in spades. Um, like he, in, I, literally in record time, in record time, like three to four minutes, you are already understand where he's coming from, what his motivations are, like what his feel is, you know, what he's going to do. Like you understand that in record time yes. for an MCU villain. And then he's just not in the movie after that. And I'm like, there was stuff with him on the cutting room floor. And instead we get screaming goats. And I'm like, why? I don't know. My, I, I guess okay. one of my, my biggest issues with the film is that it seems to prioritize the improv sitcom level comedy over any dramatic or emotional beat that the movie's trying to offer. That's but it's a rom-com. Issue. Their That's mission fine, was to do a rom-com. <laughs> But make it funny, like only. Oh, but it was it, funny. This was like one of the lowest uh, joke rates in the dude. Marvel movies. No. Screaming goats? Are you kidding me, uh, dude? I never got tired of the screaming goats. I don't I know mean, why. I, that's but right. I, what I was less interested in was the like love triangle between the hammers. I thought that was funny. That was weird. Yeah, All right, I'm I in the minority on that one, but I okay. don't. Th- I think that was a little bit more overplayed than the screaming goats. Okay, and. I, I my biggest gripe with the movie is that I do think there was an issue with the pacing and the amount of stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. I wanted more gore. Yeah, I wanted more guardians. I wanted, I wanted more, more Valkyrie. Well. Yeah, I Valkyrie. wanted more Jane. Yeah, and like yes, we got a lot of jokes, but I am I like am I like thinking that the one or two goat screams detracted from an extra scene of gore fighting Jane or Valkyrie or something? No. I don't think right. we're losing that much. Um, there is, I mean, it's it's a Taika Waititi movie though. That and this is this is my big uh, summary of what I think is happening with Phase Four at this point. From just 
after all of these, like we're I think we're at the halfway point of Marvel because phase right. four, I think, is trying to reinstitute phase one. Right. In the sense that phase one was just a bunch of movies from a bunch of different directors in a bunch of different styles that eventually got stitched together to have this fantastic through line to become the Avengers, to become Avengers Endgame and right. like what we know today. We've had our Endgame level event and now we have to reestablish this world post Endgame with all new characters because we've lost some characters. Obviously, we have Thor still, but like I said up top, he is so in, in a mental state where he like wants to be the hero and he has so many people he feels the need to protect now on Earth and across the universe. Right. So you can't really rely on him for just earthly threats. You have to build this team out. You have to stitch this all together later. But right now, what they're letting the directors and the people making these movies, people like Chloe Zhao and Sam Raimi and Taika Waititi, is they're letting them make their movies. Sure. Yeah. And then once we need them to start colliding, that's when we're going to get someone like the Russo brothers who are good at balancing all right. of that in one one tone. But for right now, the products we're getting are exclusively products of the director. They're letting them have more free reign as to what they're doing. I think I don't think it was the MCU interfering and saying, hey, take away from the villain and add more jokes and put in a whole romantic comedy sequence where we get to see Thor and Jane in their happy relationship, but their inevitable breakup. Right. It's Taika. It's like, but and that's why I love it because sure. he's not taking this stuff seriously. And I think that's where I think that's where the split goes because of course I I I, res, I listen. Obviously, Ragnarok was essential in the making for kind of one of a lot of people's favorite Marvel characters. Like if you ask me, the one two punch of specifically Ragnarok and Infinity War, Thor immediately yeah. shot up 100%. and everyone loved them, which is great. My problem is is I feel like they don't. I don't know. It's like a lot of instances they were trying to, I don't know, joke away a lot of like the serious character stuff of Thor in this one. Like obviously with a midnight crisis, like that should lead to jokes. I get it. Like that makes sense. But uh, I don't know. They've been doing that since Ragnarok when they just brush off the breakup with Jane. And they do it in Endgame right. where they give him the moment of like fat Thor getting to see his mother again. They've right. at, since Ragnarok, Thor has always been with that had like he has that comedic tone. He has that. He's just that person now. And I think right. that and- has gone that much further now that we're post Endgame, post losing two of his closest companions in Captain America, Tony Stark, but three actually, because, uh, uh, widow. So, widow and right. now he's like found these guardians who actually don't really like him he thinks he needs to go across the universe and be that guy and be the space god and in reality he kind of needs to just like figure himself out and by the end of this I think we get to that moment the whole moment with eternity is like Thor realizing he needs to grow as a person and less as like a god and uh, Gore is like I can bring my daughter back but I'll die and like I, and then that's why Thor's like I will take care of her I will become the bigger per- the better person that I need to be and like take care of this child for you and so right. that's why I like that moment the, the, you said that he's regressed as a character and I vehemently disagree with that it just felt like a lot of his actions were stuff that Thor before the first one would have done 
Like he felt cocky. And I was a little, I don't know. He's always still been cocky, dude. I know. Even in Infinity War, he gets in front of the like the 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 burning star forge and holds that shit open with his body. That's cockiness. Of course, yes, it's I'm goofy. Saying, yes, yeah. we're seeing it in a more goofy fashion here. Right. But it's still the same character. Sure. I I, I don't know. I my the other thing too is, and I, I maybe this is an issue more with Ragnarok than with uh, Love and Thunder, but it still plays into Love and Thunder, is Taika's version of Thor seems uninterested in the previous stuff, obviously, with the first Thor movie and the Dark World. And I mean, that's fine. Like, I'm not Asgard's a gone! Man. I understand. He I'm saying... What is he going to be worried about? I understand. I'm saying that he's lost everybody, right? He's lost his mom. He's lost his dad. He's lost his sister. He's lost his brother. He lost his three closest friends. And they all just, like, joke about that. And I'm like, can we just mine something real here? And the end of the movie, he loses Jane. Jane's gone. And they don't, like, it, it doesn't land. I, it was, like, it was it was too quick of, oh, no, Jane's dead, to, oh, now I have a daughter. Yippee, let's go run into battle while Sweet Child of Mine plays. Two I was things. like, what is this? Two things. Yeah. We have seen Thor grieve over and over and over again throughout the entire MCU. We've seen him grieve. Right. We see his grieving in his, for his dad in Ragnarok. We see him grieve for his brother in Thor and the Dark World. And we even have the nice moment in Ragnarok right, right. before they're separated. And Infinity War. We've seen him grieve for his mother in Dark World and Endgame. Like, he's, he's, it's past that. He's hundreds of years old also. Right. He has to he has to be able to move on. Like, yes, he's lost all these things in his world, but that's also why he's this weird, goofy, awkward character now. He's a broken person. Sure. I just wish that arc was a little more like through. And it's been, so I don't why know. do we need to do that through the fourth movie? We've had three, technically six movies, seven movies where we've gotten plenty of that. I don't know. I just feel like this movie is too. I, I'm a big theme guy, right? I I, I like when there's a clear through line in a in the best Marvel movies have a clear through line in what they're trying to say. And I feel like this one was messy in terms this of movie was trying to say, you can't put all of your faith in one thing. You have to take things into your own control. And right. Be the but they didn't really that you do that because fail stuff isn't mean? in there. Fail stuff. gets like cut. They say that in the first like four minutes. And then it's they not just the ba- it's not just the bail stuff. They show it to you with the stuff with Zeus in the stuff at the beginning with the sun guy sure. that betrays him. It's like you can't put your faith in this. Even like there are like like I, I mean, I don't know if it's an attack on organized religion. I do. Uh, like. Might be. Oh, my God. Two things since I, I got to get them out. Good, I didn't say them in Lame my down. podcast. Lame I down. love how they, they reference that there is a they're like, oh, look over there. That's the God of carpentry. Right. It's Jesus. That was funny. That was got to be Jesus. Yeah. And I then mean, that was amusing. The sun God. Did you know? Do you know who the sun God was played by at the beginning of the movie? No, it's. Oh, Deacon. wait, no, it. Yeah, Deacon it's from Deacon. what we do in the shadow. It, yeah, I okay. didn't. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know until like very much later. And I was like, oh, my God, no way. Because Tyke is yeah. very known for putting his friends in his movies. Oh, absolutely. Very, very known. And the cameo that. game in this movie is as strong as Excellent. any other. Of his. Yeah, I mean. You know, obviously, Crow's in there for a little bit. Uh, Damon comes back. Most McCarthy's in there for a bit. Oh, I, I mean, dude, I've, oh, I think that the whole Asgardian actor group is one of the funniest jokes in the entire MCU, man. Give me a Disney Plus show with them, like, just them recreating yeah. things from Thor's life. Why not? I think I that'd would be watch great. the fuck out of that. Uh, um, we also see Daryl. 
Did you ever and watch that? That was those? fun. Yeah, yeah. The see Team those Thor ever stuff. Oh, right. I love yeah. It. I love it. It was nice that they brought that in. Um, I don't know. Like, there's there's a lot. I, I like a lot of the basic ideas. I just don't think any of it was held together. And I feel like the movie was too focused on the silly stuff. I, I cannot you. deny that you are correct when I think this movie should be a, had have been 30 minutes longer. I don't know yeah. why they, they they thought that with the fourth Thor movie, that's the one we needed to cut under two hours for some weird financial runtime thing. Well, and Marvel's already proven that people will go watch it no matter what exactly. the runtime is. Endgame exactly. was three hours. Eternals was like 240. I mean, like, you could have... I mean, you could have given us more with Jane. I mean, I think the way they set her character up to have ca- the cancer that she has and the way they set up that Mjolnir was told to protect Jane from right. Thor during their relationship and how it was calling out to her and how she got her powers and how close to the comic books it was that the like the power of the Asgardian like God of Thunder was draining her life force and, uh, and right. taking the chemo out of her body so it couldn't fight the cancer that inevitably would kill her faster. Um, so that was all great, but I think giving her more character moments there at the beginning would have would have totally benefited and giving Gore more stuff in between, like the moment where he's scaring the kids would have totally benefited because he's still in the little bit that he has is one of the yeah, most he's well, right. well-defined, best balanced, creepiest, best motivation villains that we've seen in the MCU and easily one of the best couple in the phase four that we got. And I, I still think I love Wanda right. a little bit more. Wanda I know. Yeah. I just, because I, that's all because of Wanda vision. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just think that for a movie I, and I, I this will depend on who, you know, I put out my uh, statement saying I did not enjoy Thor on Instagram and I had a lot of backlash on that. So obviously people have been enjoying this movie. I'm just saying, I think all the ideas are there on paper. I just needed more of it because I feel like a lot of it was just said and then, all right, time to go on to the next thing. Taika which... says, so Taika said there's a four hour cut. He also said he hates director's cuts. So I don't think we'll ever get to see it. He also no. said most of that four hours is other jokes, well, which sure. I yeah, would they cut very out, much believe. They cut out Grandmaster um, from the yeah. movie. And, and they also, and, and, uh, Game of Thrones chick, right? Yes. Lena Headey. Yeah. They cut her out. Um, and I mean, I understand, like, you can put get, stuff on the Who was she even playing? Oh, another god me oh i heard she was gonna be like a valkyrie it was gonna be like Valkyrie's oh maybe subplot because that's the other thing like valkyrie doesn't feel like she had a lot to do in the movie it yeah. felt like a lot of like hey this I, is my... we do get a good amount of her and i do love seeing tessa thompson as valkyrie but like, oh yeah, sure just and her, that... her and portman have a nice but dynamic it's just i'm just under the that much more would have been better i love yeah. the characters i would have wanted more yeah i just feel like it's a me, good problem to have yeah i just think we're at a point now where, again, it's the fourth Thor movie. Like, I, I, you don't need to prove anything. And I feel like. Exactly my point. But That's it feels like. I'm trying got, to say. But it felt like they got lazy with it. Where they're like, all right, we're just going to put in a bunch of jokes instead of like actually mindset. That's not lazy. I think that what they did, what the, the jokes that they put in were thoughtful and were funny. Yeah, right. But that's just like of conflicting comedic tone, which we've established, I think, on this podcast. You don't right. quite think things are as funny as I do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, listen, sense of humor is objective. Everyone's got a different exactly. sense of humor. I'm just saying, for a movie that wants to take things seriously, I feel like it I don't is, think it does. 
I think this movie's mission across the board is to be a rom-com first and foremost. Right, but it wants you to feel something at the end for the Jane thing. And yes, that's Yeah, sad. but like you, why don't you? I can't believe you don't. Like they're- But it could have been rela- mined more. It could have But been it's mind. their relationship. You've got to take into account their relationships from the prior films and what they've sure. established with their characters. Right. I don't know. I, it like, I don't know. It, I, at some point, I, I don't know. I, I, I- the thing I was talking to a friend about this, and I'm interested here. But like the thing with Gun, like James Gunn does with like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, as far as like his joke to emotional moment ratio, it feels like at least what one of James Gunn's strong suits, and even in like Peacemaker, I feel like he did this really well, was he was able to have the joke. But whenever there was a serious moment, he would actually let that moment like play out in its entirety, as opposed to you know all right, we got to like kind of speed. Through I this. think that's just conflicting styles. Cause yeah, like, even in yeah. Thor Ragnarok, Taika is more known for guy. doing that. Yeah. He's yeah. known for pulling the joke out of the most tragic of moments. He made a right. whole movie about an imaginary Hitler right. in world war two. That is like a, a, like a lighthearted coming of age movie for the most part. Yeah. I think he just blows up Asgard and then makes Korg make a joke about rebuilding it. And then he's yeah. like, ah, oh, no, nah, never mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it's just going to come down to whether people think it's like balanced enough. I feel like that's kind of the defining factor because I'm talking to people who are like, you know, oh, I really liked it. I thought it was really funny. And I'm like, I, I mean, I can't say anything yeah. against that. Right. Like I didn't. But I think know. and I think I dude, I very much think that like going forward in whatever they're going to do with the MCU, the Thor is going to be in play. And I think that these this movie will have ongoing consequences obviously he has this little sidekick now that is like right. this little girl that's the embodiment of one of the most omnipotent gods in the marvel universe and isn't that his daughter who plays it's gore's oh it is it's chris hemsworth's, hemsworth's daughter, daughre, daughter right that plays gore's daughter. daughter dude all of their all of their kids are in this movie yeah yeah all of natalie portman chris hemsworth christian bales taika watiti's their kids are in this movie like throughout and yeah they were also had a hand in designing the shadow demons. They apparently sketched out like drawings of what they thought the kid or they gave the kids the mission of sketching out drawings of what they thought the shadow demons would look like. And then they took them to the Marvel uh, visual people to render into real life or well into the movie. Right. Which is awesome. It's a family made picture, dude. Sure. Cheap labor. Yeah. Um, and then I, I just three quick things. Uno, it was nice to see the Guardians again. I like seeing the Guardians. It makes me Guardians it makes guy. me very excited for Guardians three. Right. That little moment with Craglin where he's like, Yeah, I'm married now. I'm like, hell yeah, this is great. Um yeah, I yeah, I better get more Craglin in three. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to play the PS4 game. I just acquired that. Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna uh check that out at some point. Uh it was nice seeing them. Two, uh what I I, I want to discuss the end credit scenes really quickly. So sure. Obviously, at the end of the movie, um, you know, uh, uh, Zeus, who did not die by the hand of Thor, sends Hercules after Thor, played by. You I know, mean, he is the god of gods. I, I right. when I when he got struck, I, I was like, oh, fuck, he, was he killed Zeus. And yeah. then I was like, wait a minute. Probably not. Yeah, it seemed a bit too easy. Um, but, you know, he sends Hercules after Zeus, uh, after Thor. And uh, Hercules is played by Brent Goldstein. Those Ted Lasso fans know him as Roy Kent, which was nice to see. Um, do you think Taika should remain doing the Thor movies at this point? Absolutely. But I okay. hope that he sees that like, yeah, some people are going to like not love his style wholeheartedly like I do. Right. And he'll rein it back a little bit. But like, I hope Thor five is just like Thor versus Hercules. Like why? the fuck? Yeah. that sounds like it, 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 it could be interesting. And I do like Goldstein a lot. So I'd be interested yeah. to see uh, him. Coming up. And he then, ha- okay. hey, f- hey, if you didn't already know, he has a movie podcast. 
Oh, that's how that's great. Yeah, I love he has guy. his own film podcast. I uh, if I get here, I'll pull up the name here real quick, but go on. I should email him. See if he can, see, see if he can um, get him on the show. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, and then my other question is like, okay, so the last credit scene has Natalie Portman arrive in Valhalla with Interstellar. Was, was that just like a cute moment, or was that like setting up something where it's like we're gonna see Natalie Portman again? No, like, it, it's it can, there is comic things where she becomes like a Valkyrie god after oh, after back. going okay. to Valhalla after being the mighty Thor, and okay. she can come back to the mortal world. Okay, all right. Uh, so it could set something up. It's leaving that door open for that, I think. But I also I think we should have gotten Rene Russo and Anthony Hopkins as yeah, like exactly. to all greet her at Valhalla. Right. Get this version of Loki, you know, like. But I also love seeing Idris Elba, and I really love that we saw that uh, Heimdall had a kid. Right, Axel or whatever. Yeah, yeah that was cute. Um, but I don't know. So. And I know you're, I know you're Taika uh, pilled here, but is this, is this your favorite Phase Four MCU movie that they've no. done so far? No, okay. I mean, No Way Home exists. Oh, No Way Home, right? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, I, see, but, okay. that I also think No Way Home is a problem for no for Phase Four because it is it, it it did the impossible. It brought right. Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back, and right. now that's the level and standard that uh, people are going to hold the MCU to, right. and that's just not uh, like feasible, right? Yeah, and the MCU has gotten too big for the point where I feel like anytime we have a smaller story, normally those are reserved for TV now, but like it feels like all of these have to be like big events after, right. you know, any even No Way Home. Uh, Brett Goldstein's podcast is called Films to be Buried With. Incredible. I yeah. love that guy. I'll have to check that out. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 I didn't enjoy it, but clearly you did. <laughs> and you know, I'm happy for you. Listen, this is I no think you about. would enjoy it more after a rewatch. After we watch, we'll see. Maybe I'll check it out in 3D. Maybe that might, um, dude. I mean, yeah, if you get a chance, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of the 3D movies. And honestly, I wasn't a fan of most of the movie in 3D, right? But like, there were some specific moments, like, Omnipotent City was really cool in 3D. Yeah, also. that sounds like that'd be cool in 3D. Yeah. All I'm saying is, listen, Avatar The Way of Water, give me that 3D right now. Mm. I'm all in, all care. in on that, baby. Give care. me James I, Cameron. I already, baby. as a projectionist, that that movie's. Gonna cause problems just because of frame rate and stuff, right. and it's gonna look weird, and people are gonna complain. And not right, right. Good times, good times. Right. Um. Also, any other... that movie is bad. I don't know. Avatar I mean, is bad. All right. Well, you can stand on that, and I will be watching the new one with anticipatory feelings. <laughs> okay. I like James Cameron. I don't know. Um. I mean, I any... like James Cameron too. I like Titanic and Aliens, but I don't like. Avatar. Avatar, the blue people. That's fair. Um, any last thoughts you want to get about uh, Thor: Love and Thunder? Uh, I mean, I can I can understand where you're coming from with not liking it, and because it's such an offshoot of what we've come to know from the MCU, and like right. that's a certain level of standards that like a lot of people are going to be wanting to be met. But I just can't get over how much I loved how funny it was. I sure. love how energetic. I love how colorful it was. I love how I I s still disagree with the visuals. I think it's one of the most visually crazy MCU movies, and right. like it's just beautiful to look at and colorful for a lot of it. And then the juxtaposition with the black and white sequences, and like how we. I mean, it's just it's a like really good time. And I like you're like you said yourself, the general audience seems to love it. And I, I got to agree. I yeah. will say it 
this do you do you talk about cinema score ever? Do you like know, no, no, really? That? But I, I'm interested. it's like a way to gauge audience reactions coming right. Out that's like the a, a minus, right? Yeah. So like until Phase Four, the only like B or something that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had was for I think the first Thor or something. Okay. Since Phase Four, both Doctor Strange and Thor: Love and Thunder have gotten B pluses. And the only thing lower that is, I think Eternals got a B minus right. that makes or sense. something. Eternals device. Um, I think that's just like a testament to the fact that like the fatigue is real. Maybe we need to slow down on our releases. Four a year is getting insane. Yeah, let's cut back to maybe two a year again. Give the visual effects artists some more time to work on these films and projects and TV right. shows, and like let people just like soak in what you're giving us at the time we don't i i am one of the biggest marvel fucking mcu fans there is sure yeah i can wait right i think the same thing happened with star wars film fatigue is real getting too much of one thing is very real yeah and so they should definitely maybe see this and slow up a little bit right right yeah, because when their upcoming street black panthers our next one right november and dude there's i just don't that is the biggest question mark of I'm, any film I've ever known. Yeah, I'm not going to believe it's real until I'm like their opening. It's night, not that but... I don't believe it's real. It's that I can't imagine what they're going to do. Yeah, you really got it. I just feel bad walking in already because I'm like, how do you accomplish this? And I mean, I guess we'll see in a couple months. How do you but... satisfy a sequel to a movie where the main character is no longer with us and you're actively right. choosing to not recast that? And not it's only a, that. That is, a, like... that is a fine decision in and of itself. But like the project is going to suffer. And I don't unless they're unless they're going like bring in Namor, give us the war between Atlantis and Wakanda. And like the right. people we come to know and love from Wakanda are going to have to like step in and become leaders. I think that's the best they can do. Sure. I just still think there's going to be a inexcusable absence. Yeah, that's fair. But who knows? It'll be interesting to see. Um. Well, Brent, thanks for coming on, buddy. You know, no it's problem, always a pleasure. Man. We uh, we should do this more often. <laughs> it's really it was well, absolutely. It was really yeah. fun to get to come on here and talk like against you with Thor, uh, love and exactly. with Thor, love and thunder, because everyone on my podcast fucking loved it. Yeah, so you know, if you want to hear more of uh, people who did enjoy it, you can check out uh, Brent's oh, podcast, Cinerivals. Yeah, yeah, Cinerivals for all of these. We have podcasts on everything we talked about here with me and my co-host Brad. A couple of guests for a couple of the things, so definitely go check those out. That's Cinerivals on Spotify and iTunes and wherever you find podcasts. Hell to the yeah. Um, so I'll do it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We will see you guys next week. Uh, the Real Dude Podcast is available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and where you find your podcast. We're there, and we will see you guys later. Toodles.